Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. This is a fantastic event, one of my favorites of the year. I was just wondering, uh, uh, Mr. President, uh, will you be uh, taking part in the Easter egg rolls uh, after planning on after 2024? Well, I plan on at least three or four more Easter egg rolls. At least three or four more? Maybe, maybe, maybe five. Maybe five? <laughs> maybe maybe so, six. So what the hell? Are you, are you saying that, uh, that you would be uh, taking part in uh, our upcoming election in 2024? Well, I'll either, so either, either roll an egg or you know, being the, the, you know, the guy who's pushing them out. Come on, help a, bro- help a brother out. Make no, some news no, for no, me no. here. Well, I, I plan on running now, but we're not prepared to announce it yet. Yeah, you know, Al Roker sweated the answer out of the president that John Heilman only wishes that he could have gotten on the circus. Oh, my God. What a, I mean, talk about a get there. I mean, that's breaking news. <laughs> Joe Biden plans to run for re-election. Uh, well, listen, let me ask you a question about this. And this is what was confusing me. This made huge news. Hey, by the way, nice to see you guys. Hey. Yeah, oh, let's hey, do a little hey, intro sorry about here. That. Oh, us, hey, uh, John. Hey, 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 one, hey. One and only premium cable TV star, John Heilman from The Circus. You're so familiar to us that we just roll right into it here. But uh, with the Easter egg roll, we're on a roll. So uh, the question is for you, Heilman, this thing just got covered like crazy. This was, a you know, bulletin news. Biden says he plans to run. He's been saying for like a year, it's my intention to run, but I'm not ready to make the announcement. Why did this explode the way it did? Slow news week. Um, reporters are, are lemmings. I, mean, I don't know. I, I never understand it. It's like he's he literally said the same thing. He's I mean, not just figuratively, not close. It's the same thing. I'm intending yeah. to run, but I'm not ready to announce anything yet. He's been saying that as you said, for months and months and months. And is there really any, I would say that from the day of the midterms to now, there's been zero suspense about whether he's going to, to the day after the midterms to now, there's been no suspense about whether Joe Biden plans to run for president. And there's always a chance that he could hit by, get hit by a bus, in which case he won't run. Yeah, it's grist for the mill. You know, if I'm a TV producer trying to make clicks, I'm like, oh, four-point series on the Ukrainian intelligence leaks, or Biden going to run. It, you know, it's no-brainer. They're going to do it every time they can. You hear a lot of complaint from Democrats, even though obviously the left is obsessed with Trump and, and Trump news, and it's fueled a ton of cable ratings and, and news, newspaper subscriptions, if newspapers still exist, over the last seven years or whatever. But there is always a caterwauling of like, why don't you guys ever pay attention to Biden? You know, and like, I think there's a little bit in the news business, people are like, now that the Trump indictment is in people's rearview mirror, it's like, oh, hey, there's some Biden chum we can throw in the right, water right. To, 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 to satisfy our, our complainants on the left. I, I think the guy does intend to run, and I think he does plan to run. Uh, oh, you've made more news. And he is, uh, and I'm going to just excuse me while I roll this Easter egg. But the fact he's, he's 80, that adds, you know, an element to this that we've never faced before. So, this is what caught my attention. And let me ask and tell me if I'm just reading more into it than I should. Senator Chris Coons from Delaware, a very, very close, uh, close in politician to Biden. I remember when Biden was touting Coons for the Senate when nobody thought Coons uh, ha- had a chance there. And he said, um, in what I think, uh, this is what uh, Coons 
said in his CNN piece. And what I think is the unlikely chance that he ultimately decides not to run this time, he will need to do so soon enough that other candidates can get into the field to be competitive. Now, why would Kuhn say that? Well, riddle me this. I don't know. I, I have been <laughs> one of those thinking, yeah, I'm not sure he's going to run. You know, he doesn't, he hasn't committed himself. That, that view is, was a minority view to begin with, and it's melting away with me. But right. it is weird. It's like Coons knows there's some internal hesitation that hasn't been reported. That's the Kremlinology there. But speculation, we, we can't really know. Uh, I am surprised they haven't. It, it appears there's a Politico story, others on all this, that Biden seems to be personally slow walking the thing because all his people are ready to go. But it's a little weird. Joe Biden has slow walked every decision about running for anything yes. ever. Yes. I mean, every yes. time he's run for president, uh, the 17 pattern, other right. times, he's he's always it's like, like always later than 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 anybody around him wants. It's always later than he initially hints. It always takes forever. He slow walks every decision like this. It's the most it's it's, it's like the, I, I think Mike Murphy refers to the atomic clock of politics, right? It's like Joe Biden being late on making a decision <laughs> to run is, you know, the most predictable Normal. thing in the world. But Coons is right. He is right that to Biden would completely screw the Democratic Party if he gets to the summer or fall and says, hey, you know what? I don't think I'm going to go. If that was the emphasis of the stories, which is, wow, man, it's like you're not going to announce. People are talking about July now. You know, I mean, I, we, we've people remember that Bill Clinton announced in what, September, October of 91. Yeah, but nobody's but announced that late. In, John F. Kennedy announced in January. I mean, that's like ancient history. But that's what I mean. Nobody's announced this late in a long time. Even if you're an right. incumbent president, Donald Trump announced he was running for re-election the first month he was in the White House. It's like, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it's so it's so con- counter to the trend of starting early, you know, for fundraising reasons and for other reasons and the team's ready to go and all that stuff. There is a little bit of Biden's internal clock being totally out of sync with the modern world. But that's also, I guess, kind of in character with Biden. Back to the ravenous media. They're tickling the whiskers of the of the feral cat now because the media loves a process story. You could just see, as we noted, how they jumped. Well, they're starting to cook a cake called, why isn't he running story? You know, they're creating a vacuum that if I were them, I would fill. Because uh, yeah. that'll be the next clever insight. Something's wrong. And I mean, we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're hinting at it now because there's an indicator. I don't think any of us believe in the end that'll be it, but they're, they're starting to leave that barn door open for a whole bunch of bad speculation at a time when even with the gift of Trump back out in the news, Biden's numbers are, they, they got work to do, including among Democratic primary voters and time's a resource you can't create more of. One of their uh, th- uh, things is, uh, notions is, Mike, that the Republicans are doing their work for them. Therefore, when your enemies, or not enemies, but when your opponent is killing them, when your opponents are killing themselves, let them do it and just get out of the way. Yeah, but that's too clever by half because you really work by being a foil to the Republicans while they're committing suicide. And I know they're trying to position that with the White House, but there's, there's, there's stuff they can, if he's announced, they can really turn the surrogates loose. There's a lot they can do. If Republicans, we're going to talk about this are handing them just prize after prize, particularly on right. abortion. You know, they they can help. I ask you guys this question, because I'm sure you've discussed this ad nauseum on the show over the course of the many months slash years that I've- We discuss everything ad nauseum. 
since I've last been on, I, I well, you guys were boycotting me. I was boycotting you, so I haven't listened. But <laughs> Man, he is that's so why sensitive. the circus never calls. Now we've uncovered it. Okay, <laughs> but but if the it's it's kind of obvious, and people make this point all the time. That Biden has one big problem, right? The biggest problem. It's only one giant thing. It's like he's just old, right? So there's you know, and we know what the polling shows about people just not wanting an eighty year old yeah. to be president. If you were had a candidate, either one of you, who was 80 years old and looking at those numbers, not just the, the general election numbers and even in the party, the number of people who are like, 80 is just too old to be president. We like Joe Biden, but 80 is too old. Would you be like thinking it was a good idea to slow walk anything? I'd no, be like, like no. wanting my candidate to be moving rather briskly at this point. Get out there. Can Absolutely. he remember he's president? Test one, announce that you're running again. It's a thing. It's a problem. And it doesn't go away. So you got to like, face it yeah. and run with it now. Yeah, but obviously he's made a decision to do this on his own calendar. So anyway, you mentioned Murphy and I mentioned the Republicans getting in their own way. Now we have this abortion ruling. Wait, here's a bulletin before we get to this. Chicago, home of the 2024 Democratic Convention, disclosed this morning. So that's a what a what a wise <laughs> perspicacious decision on the part of the Democratic National Committee to put the convention in the world's greatest city. Right. A model of effective democratic government, too. It's incredible. <laughs> Seven delegates killed on way from Marriott. Oh, come Go on. Go to a swing state. Man. Go to Detroit. Uh, oh, Go to, oh, God. Nah, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. argument is this is in the, this Chicago is in a region that is enormously important to democrats a region no no but michigan (laughs) wisconsin listen all those governors were very much in support of of this so i think it's a great choice and i'm completely unbiased that is my political analysis (laughs) people people tune in here to hear deep political analysis of mine is chicago's a hell of a town my kind of town, Chicago. Oh, this is shameless. A warning to our listeners. <laughs> Three Chicago aldermen tonight are going to be listening to this saying, hey, I think Axe got his beak wet. <laughs> Dusting him off. Leave my beak out of this. <laughs> All right. No, it's dumb. That's my opinion. Even though I love really? Chicago. I love Chicago, but it's dumb. No, I think it's good. You're not invited, Murphy. <laughs> this is why I think, Mike, I'm surprised at you because... My view over the years has been that the whole thing of putting it the conventions in swing states is ridiculous and that the Obama experience proves the North Carolina 2012 thing proves that as much as anything is a television show. Put it in a place where the where the television infrastructure is the best. Like where's the a big city, LA, New York, Chicago, where like My kind of town yeah. Chicago where there's like lots and lots of broadcast facilities and lots of hotel rooms and where the press will be happy and they'll be easy to shoot broadcast from that's like all it On is state street that great street i just want to say oh god i where's mike cedron <laughs> that uh You've got a point about the TV show, but a lot of those internal factors, how you program it, how you build the hall, you do need logistics to support it. But there's this thing, the New South, Georgia, New Swing State, Atlanta, incredible city. There are places that send a better political message to the rest of the country than Chicago. Um, It's going to be irresistible for the media to go out and take a hard look at the city. And right now, the city politically is not ready for a hard look. Now, maybe Brandon, the new mayor, will have a great left-wing success yeah. story but maybe he'll be radical bernie the mayor at war with everybody when all the cameras in the world are there so politically bad move if i were attending it i'd be happy because i love chicago but there's a higher 
purpose. Setting aside, first of all, I do think that there will be this honeymoon period for Johnson, and he has a lot of things on his plate. But what I see and what I hear suggests to me that he is very attentive to the politics of the moment here. So I don't think that he's looking to uh, have some sort of uh, kind of, you know, weird uh, experiment in the city of Chicago. I think he wants to, to get policing down right and so on. So we'll see uh, how, he, how he does. But uh, in terms of logistics, the centrality of the city and the country, uh, all of that, I mean, it's, it, you, you really, it's very hard to beat Chicago as a convention town. And in the politics, as I said, you know I live uh, uh, in some, some of the time in your home state of Michigan, Mike, because it's an hour and 15 minutes uh, from the city. Uh, Wisconsin touches Chicago. That's where you do your farming in West Michigan. Yes. Yeah. So when you hear manure on the show, you'll know where it <laughs> you comes get it from. fresh. Look, I'll, exactly. I'll concede one thing: there is a a strong history of Chicago Democratic conventions going perfectly. So yes. Hopefully, that's it that curse will the be last broken. one was great. It was great for Nixon. Yeah. No, not nineteen ninety six. Oh was yeah, great I for forgot ninety six was Chicago. Yeah, too. Right. man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 96 yeah. Chicago was great. Uh, I yeah. spent a lovely evening uh, down on the on the Lakeshore Drive cruising around with Anthony Weiner at that convention, if I remember correctly. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to hear about you wanna... cruising with Anthony yeah. Weiner. Yes, well, I, I know. I used that there for years. Old joke, but <laughs> come on, man. I just want to know what Mike would have said if uh, the Democrats had chosen Los Angeles. He would have been like, "What a great choice, Los Angeles, fantastic, no, no, p- I mean, politically perspicacious." No, no, I, genius. I'm for Detroit. Work for Reagan in '80. Better swing state. Start to really give that governor a look. Um, I think there are better reasons for Detroit, and Biden can take credit for the auto comeback. But the LA is interesting because California says the future. So you got to figure out with the Jurassic president is the future kind of helping. Biden's connected to it. Oh or is man, it a you're, you're actually pitching LA? No, no. He thought I, I. I, he thought I would get my beak wet out of Chicago and say, L.A., that's what we really need. But I'm, I'm, I think the, the, it's a tr- tricky thematic there. Yeah. I've heard enough about both of your beaks today. I, this is, this is well, mine is rather prominent. Mm-hmm. And let me say that uh, the, the only way we get our beaks wet, wet is through the uh, generosity of our wonderful sponsors. And we'll hear from them throughout this program. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Hacker Rose Murphy here, and you know what I love to do? I love to watch television around the world, which is tricky because Netflix, BBC iPlayer, all the systems that allow you to stream interesting content you may not see, or at least you may not see right now here in the U.S., well, they're pretty sneaky. They can tell where your computer is and block you because they're thinking, wait a minute, you're not, you're not living in London. Why are you trying to watch this? That's where ExpressVPN, our great sponsor, comes in. With ExpressVPN, or Virtual Private Network, you're able to control and change your online location where Netflix thinks you are. They've got almost 100 different server locations. So you can grab access literally to thousands of new shows. It works with YouTube, BBC iPlayer. I use it personally, and it is great. I can watch things that often don't make it over here for another six months or a year. So it's tremendous. In fact, I was using 
uh, ExpressVPN to watch the new season of Endeavor, which you cannot get in the U.S. for months and months and months till it pops up on PBS. So why choose ExpressVPN? This is what people want to know over other VPNs because there are plenty of it. Well, one, it's quick. It always works. You click UK or Bulgaria, wherever you want your, your internet TV watching location to be, and click whiz, boom, it's there. Some of these things take forever. It's also compatible with, well, everything. Phones, laptops, media consoles, smart TVs. It works all across the spectrum of devices in our digital era. And finally, it encrypts your data. Now, this is important. VPNs, virtual private networks, don't only allow you to control your location. They also provide a much more secure pipeline. So the next time you're hanging out in that hotel coffee shop or on the road using Wi-Fi, there are real security issues. Well, ExpressVPN is an encrypted pipeline, so it's much more secure when you browse the web. I'm traveling right now when I record this, and you better believe I have a VPN on. So look, be smart. Do what I do. Stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to the small fraction of their content they decide based on location. Get the same access the president of Netflix has. See everything. Same for the other streamers. All you got to do is go to expressvpn.com slash hacks on tap. Don't forget to use our link at expressvpn.com slash hacks on tap to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. See, we're, we're working for you around the clock. So check this out. It's the coolest way to stream ExpressVPN. The abortion ruling in uh, Texas, federal judge in Texas, overrules the FDA uh, on the use of abortion medication, which is the majority of abortions in the country are now performed through the use of abortion medication. Which you can ship over state lines, theoretically, which is a huge day-to-day impact on people's actual lives grappling with this tough issue. So it's a huge deal. So let me uh, play for you guys a tape of Republican politicians responding to this. Oh, oh, there is no tape. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. Yeah. This is a issue that is going to continue to plague the Republican Party. Murphy. Well, you're you're making a lot of news today, pal. Um, Yeah, it's a (laughs) slow motion suicide. And a lot of the Republicans know it, but they're terrified of primaries. Uh, There's some interesting post-election data moving around after Wisconsin. The Wisconsin Supreme Court race. Yes, exactly. On the 4th. Now, normally these court races are about crime because voters figure court, judge, crime, you know, um, rather than constitutional stuff and everything else. So the, the pollsters asked, you know, how important were each of these things on impact on your vote? And among the very important position on fair elections and protecting democracy, which is always an evergreen question that goes well, 83%. Crime was only 57. The candidate's position on the issue of abortion was 75. It blew crime away by almost 30 points. And, you know, and it was all through the the crosstabs too. So, This is a huge deal. Now, there's also a Washington court, Democratic state, saying, no, damn it. So this could go to the Supreme Court. Well, it probably will. Yeah, I mean, it feels to be pretty fast-tracked. But remember, the court case will be about the power and scope of the FDA. You know, people always root like baseball, pro-life, pro-choice. But this one is a little hamstrung, and I would be surprised if Kavanaugh 
joins the suicide parade on this. But guess what? We're going to see, which is great for the Democrats. We get another high-stakes abortion war. Right-wing judges on the Supreme Court tend to love regulation and tend to always defer yeah, to, right, uh, right. to, to national, national regulatory bodies. They, they could make this decision the wrong way for a couple different reasons. They could make it because they're anti-abortion. They could make it because they're anti-regulation. Either way, it's terrible law. I mean, it's horrible law. And I know we can't, uh, this is not what this show's about, but it's like the most ins- one of the most insane rulings in the world. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, like, it is a torturous reasoning. The precedent it would set would be disastrous for like everything about the way that the drug business, the pharmaceutical business works in America. If you could have just courts striking down FDA rulings left and right. Well, that's why 200 pharmaceutical companies have registered their protest already uh, to this. Yeah, that's not like I want to be on the side of big pharma here, but just imagine like 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 renegade judges run amok around the country, just deciding willy nilly they're going to strike down FDA rulings and like people like. <laughs> yeah, but I'll tell you, it, it's it's a great phantom. I mean, scare the hell out of me. I am for big pharma, and uh, it people like drug technology and the idea a bunch of politicians are going to yes. monkey with it. So grandma's drug is actually she's going to grow horns and start flying around the house. No, bad politics. I'm going to say I'm not like I don't love big pharma, but on the other hand, I, I the life saving drugs I'm all in favor of, and it's nat- naturally puts it's hard to decide what's worse, the legal implications of this or the political implications for the Republican Party. But my God, um, it's just it, it's when's the last time there's been a culture war uh, in our lifetimes where Democrats have had this the the, the upper hand so decisively. It's like the, the nature of, of wedge issue politics and culture war politics has been in favor of Republicans and conservatives for as long as we've been alive. And here's like the biggest culture war yep. in America right now. And Democrats have the whip hand on this thing for, for as far as the eye can see. Well, the fascinating thing about it, too, is we're now for the first time the Supreme Court is taking away perceived rights. That happened yeah. with Dodd. We'll see about this one. I, I think it the it'll be a big buildup and then it won't happen but the buildup is politically powerful but the american political culture is not used to things being taken away it's the opposite and that's why it's such a powerful court if this thing isn't overturned i think you'll see a reaction at least as powerful as the one we saw after dobbs which cost the republicans in many ways the sort of massive victory that everybody forecast not everybody but us well, a lot of people forecasted uh, before the, uh, the the November election. But another issue, you know, to me, in the the midterms last year were kind of preset in a couple of weeks in the late spring, early summer, with the Dobbs ruling, but also two heinous mass shootings in Uvalde yes. and, yes. High, and Highland Park, Illinois. We have had a rash of these things now, and uh, it's boiled over in Tennessee. And because of the school shooting in Nashville, uh, there was a demonstration in the, in the legislature and two young black, we, this is, I'm just reporting the news here, I'm not, two young black legislators and an and a older uh, female legislator were brought up for expulsion. The two young black guys were thrown out. The white woman was not. By one uh, I mean, the, right. the, the optics of all of this you know, this is over the issue of common sense gun safety laws. And I mean, it just seems like a disaster. 
Well, yeah, let me let me add a little dimension to it because I agree it was a bumbleheaded move, and they're both apparently being reappointed because they created open seats by their local, and then the the Memphis and Nashville councils, which are Democrat or both parties, but Democrat majority. Well, they'll be reelected too, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, they're going to win this. The whole thing was stupid, self inflicted. But part of it was not just a prism on gun rights. They had they had broken the rules. It became an excuse. But I think part of it was just a bunch of grumpy old white guys punishing two young black guys who, from their point of view, broke rules. And then they went nuclear on it, which was incredibly stupid and unnecessary. Now they're even backpedaling a bit. Well, we'll be happy to accept them if the consuls. So the whole thing was a kerfuffle of stupidity in a state where the Republican thing is so locked in, nobody feels any political jeopardy for acting like the world is anything other than a Republican primary. But point taken, made electrifying national news. And it dug in more on guns. So I would finish by saying the kind of tragedy, and I'm a skeptic about will gun control laws work. Um, I wish I was wrong. But I probably support some just out of emotional rage for what's been happening in the country. But the the problem is the voters, they are oddly numb to this and oddly happy to accept the status quo on guns, which is some sort of failure of national character. But we've seen this for 30 years. You see polling, man, and it's not it's not indifferent. I mean, you 90 percent of Americans believe we should have universal background check. But w- when have you seen a statewide lost lost on guns? I remember when I did Whitman in 93, Florio's whole campaign was assault weapons. And, it, you know, it didn't scratch us. We talked about unemployment. There's a couple issues that seem to be animating, particularly young voters right now. And it's not it's not so much. I think you're right, Mike. It's hard to find find individual races where the gun issue has necessarily been a, it certainly has been the case in the past, but you now have this kind of cadre of young voters. There's some Harvard polling about this that just came out, which is basically like every young person you meet doesn't give a shit about, about party politics. They hate, they don't like the Democrats, they don't like the Republicans, but they really care about some issues and they're all getting amped up over several issues. One of them was abortion. We just talked about it. The other one is guns. And you can't just be the, the Republican party being on the wrong side of these issues, it's not just the, the gun legislation that's being proposed as, quote, common sense. It's that, you know, these are issues where 66, 72, 85 percent of the public is in favor of them, whether that issue ends up being what ends up what uh, they carrying vote a, on. Right. a particular thing. It's the complex of issues that make the Republican Party look like they're wildly out of step with yes. the mainstream of American society. This is the point. What happened, what happened last November was people made a judgment that they thought the Republican Party was it's too extreme. extreme. Yes. And this adds to that coloration. It's the macro judgment. And they, and they, just to say the one thing about the Tennesseans, it's it's the it's that a bunch of white state legislators in Tennessee who don't understand the really interesting fact that state level politics are now becoming national instantly whether that's the the Wisconsin race or the this Tennessee thing these things can blow up and become national news. And the notion that they weren't aware of the fact that Hey, yeah, like picking out the, the, the just kicking out the two black guys and keeping the white woman in and punishing them when they're just protesting in the wake of a huge tragedy on behalf of of legislation that eighty percent of the public wants that that would not be a problem for a party that's perceived as too extreme is just myopic to an extraordinary degree. But it's a problem that all Republicans have right now, which they don't seem to get the fact that the party's image. Oh right no, now no, they <laughs> is toxic the party is not that highly aware of this plenty of them get it but they don't know what to do about it because they feel trapped by their primary voters and sure you know it it is a it look i agree the brand is spinning downward particularly of voters under 40 
which become in time all voters. I mean, I've been screaming about this for 20 years. Dirty little trick those young bastards play. Now so, you're making news. Yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> well, I'm just reminding you guys, you know, connecting you with the, the, the larger picture. But I don't <laughs> think guns is the thing that'll do it. We've been through excruciating things and the everybody's dug in and it doesn't seem to move much. A majority of Republicans support stronger background checks for handgun sales. I've done work on that. But it's, it's, it's the most frustrating thing about American politics. The other problem, of course, and we're not policy wonks, but, oh, boy, unless you can really get a buyback thing that works or something like that, it's so hard because there's so many guns out there. I don't want to get into a policy discussion, but you look at a state like Connecticut, which did enact uh, some strong laws after uh, Newtown, and they've seen a fairly significant reduction in crimes and gun deaths because, remember, suicide figures right. into this as well. But listen, on this issue of being trapped by primary voters, I want to talk about Governor DeSantis, who's, uh, who, who just signed a bill uh, uh, allowing permitless carry in, uh, in Florida, who is, uh, support, supported a, a change of the law to six weeks of legal abortion. It seems to me he is painting himself way into the corner in his effort to hang on to these Trump voters that he, you know, I think Trump's going to hang on to his Trump voters. I'm unimpressed with the strategic, I mean, leaving aside uh, sort of, uh, you know, moral or, you know, moral considerations or policy considerations. This just seems ultimately like bad politics for DeSantis. There is no strategy there. There's barely a campaign. There's a big checking account and an incumbent governor who's had two easy races who's doing 100% primary. You ought to remember the Nixon rule. Nixon appeased the right by being so tough as an anti-communist, and then he moved out to widen his appeal and everything else. But DeSantis, is, he's trying to double down and out-Trump Trump, which is a, a sucker bet. I don't know if that elects Trump. As you know, I don't think Trump's going to get nominated again. But they're going to be new, interesting people later in the process this year. Um, and I think DeSantis is making a bunch of strategic mistakes, though. I don't really even think they think strategically. I think they, they're all primary tactics. It's, and it's not really they. It's really just it's him. And Mrs. Mrs. And his wife. Yeah. He and his wife, and it's the only people who matter there. It's just I have the question about them. them. I don't have any doubt right now Joe Biden's going to run for re-election. I'm not sure DeSantis is going to go through with this. I mean, you looked at him when he did the book tour. He looked like he was like, here I'm, here I come. And he's had, you know, now about, it's been about a month, two months since the book came out. And, and he's kind of been beat up by Trump. His numbers have collapsed. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's, I mean, obviously he's going to still have the Karl Rove's of the world, the zero saying, we need you, we need you. But like, man, and he's got all the dough, but he's not looking like he has the eye of the tiger right now in the way that he did for the better part of the last, I was in the last year where it looked like he was just, you know, get through re-election, win a big re-election, got that, and then was going to come out roaring into the race. I, you know, I, it's not, I, I wouldn't be surprised the guy doesn't end up running in the end. And yes, for sure, he's painted himself into a pretty terrible corner. And I agree. I don't just, like, I guess you got to be acceptable to the MAGA faithful, I guess. But man, like, you're not going to get a lot of those votes, it doesn't feel like to me. So especially given Trump's status now as the new, as the new, you know, with the stigmata that he's, uh, the, every couple of weeks he's going to get a new indictment and going to get you know another nail uh, hammered into his wrists on the cross there and you know it's just going to build up the MAGA intensity all the more yeah I, I just don't think they have a theory of the election no I think they're like well maybe the Trump people all come to us because we're tough on cultural stuff too and I'm younger 
which is it gets them to second base, but it, 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 it doesn't go anywhere from there. And I, I just don't see, I don't know. They have time for a second look and a comeback. This is all super premature, but all yeah. his candidate skills have been lacking so far. And that, you know, he's on a half-life now. He's going to have to really execute a, an early stage second look well over the summer or the, the circus, no offense or a compliment mm. is going to move on. There's right. some other pretty interesting people who aren't famous yet, but are going right. to be there who are younger and interesting and conservative. I went down and saw him when he, when the book came out on one of the first day after the book, uh, he was down and he spoke at the villages and I watched that speech. It was Dukakis yeah. in the sense of it was the Florida miracle. And I, one of the questions I have, and Mike, you have probably a better beat on this than, than, than I do is like the Florida miracle, a thing you can sell in Iowa, New Hampshire. Are they like Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina Republicans going to be like, yeah, let's make our state like Florida. It's just I'm dubious about it. No, no. The we only the only thing he's got there is the it smells like victory. You know, sure. the smell of cultural napalm. And that's in what the that's what you hear. That's what he's selling. I, I'm a culture yes. warrior who can win. Look what I've done in Florida. On the other hand, and I, I think the Iowa, New Hampshire retail thing is, you know, I I'd rather have Boston TV, but he's got to touch people. You know, which he's not good at. Yeah. When you're a mega state governor, you raise a ton of money, you dominate TV with the right fights and the right enemies. You never have to meet anybody, you know, not a huge donor. Now he's got to get out there and at least fake it through endless town halls and all that, which are the bunting on the tree of those contests. Sure. And he's not well equipped. And there's concern in his world. I remember somebody aligned with him a few months ago pulled me aside who I knew from my days doing a lot of Florida politics, Governor Bush, and uh, said, hey, we had a great week last week at a hurricane event. You know, we met a guy who something bad happened, and the governor actually touched him on his shoulder. You know, they were acting like they'd done a moon launch. You know, obviously it took 20 hours of coaching and heavy pharmaceuticals to get that done. But boy, oh boy. And that narrative is set now, by the way, that he's the non-people person. So it, it... yeah, it's going to be tough. They shield him from the press because he's he's because he's brittle. You can see that he's brittle. You can see his brittleness when he's when he's out. And there's a he's not the opposite of supple. You know, there's yeah. kind of like and you worry about it. And then you look at those debate performances, which I'll also say he's got to get on the debate stage. And if you get your if you have a hard time with Charlie Crist, you're going to have a hard time. Yeah. Yes, with, I, uh, with Donald J. Trump. He's also got a donor panic going on because they're the fickleest group in the world. And it takes a lot of personal touch with bundlers who we, you know, are very useful because that's hard dollars. And we're see when he was the what's going to happen proof of concept guy, they were all running to him. Now they're finding it's a competitive marketplace. You know, they, they ran to him because they were desperate for an alternative to Trump and he looked viable. Right. And, you know, but the, here's the thing about these book tours. Like they had a plan and the plan was he was going to get through his legislative session and get his shit together. And then he would uh, announce in June and he would be prepared for announcing this book tour was like a trailer of the movie and <laughs> the movie what's what's the worst movie you guys ever saw oh boy i'm a fan what's of that such one with things. warren Beatty? remember from years well ago? you're thinking about ishtar ishtar yeah so the trailer became ishtar okay it was not a good look I would say Howard the Duck, though it's having a comeback. Okay, but, yeah. all right, okay. But if if Buckaroo Bonsai, <laughs> okay, everybody's got. I'll defend that one. 
Very 80s. I thought you'd like that. <laughs> Pick any one of those. All right. And point, that was the trailer. Made. Yeah. Yes. It, it, and then, and, and in terms of what you're saying, John, not just about sort of his strategic sense, but his fundamental kind of lack of humanity. I heard stories from Republicans uh, who were around that book tour, and people would come in who should have been important to him, and he just blows them off. Yeah, no, he doesn't do the Paul thing where they all belly bump and sweat together, which is very important in the inside game at the beginning of one of these things. I'll tell you, really smart Republican. <laughs> Ew, what an image. My Ron DeSantis belly bumping. Ew. Well, you know, this is, you this know is the inside into the Republicans. Yeah, yeah. It, it, <laughs> no, 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 no. Believe me, there's more, plenty of belly bumping on your side. The big point is you got to. In the inside game, forget the voter game for a minute where it's somewhat overrated, but in the inside game, you've got to be that seductive person. You've got to have a black belt and making friends. And he has shown zero, zero interest and ability in that. Somebody really smart said this about him, which I thought was so perceptive. I might have said it before in here. There, and this is the nicest person in Republican politics, usually talented. This is Murphy quoting himself. No, no, yes, no. exactly I'm, right. I'm, I'm not nice <laughs> enough. There is no love in him. Yes. And yeah. that is a thing. There was too much love in Bill Clinton and no love in Ron DeSantis. But, I'll, but I, I, there is a thing, Mike, I agree with you about retail. It can be overstated. But retail and dealing with the press often right. go hand in it's hand. It's a narrative driver. That's how they look at you. Well, and in terms of how you actually deal with the press, it's like DeSantis is just, like I say again, he's- He doesn't deal with he's, the press. He's brittle. No. He's just a brittle character. And the brittleness- the press picks up on it. They hide him from the press for the same reason they hide him from voters. He's not good with humans. And like being not good with humans is not like a great, not a great quality. Human, and humans are an integral part of the process. Yes. So, indeed. I would say yes. of life. Hard I would to say avoid of life, humans. Of all processes. Yeah. But you know what? They should try to flip this into a plus. And I think what they do is adopt the Star Trek Vulcan symbol as the campaign logo. You know, that maybe that he doesn't need emotions. He's an asshole, but he's your asshole kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. The biggest jerk in town can save, you know, save us the most dangerous people. And I, I did that campaign once. I was working in Canada and we had a guy running for I the election. I remember that because I elected the guy's successor, remember? Right. Yeah. That was the guy we beat, the head of the yes. food bank, your kind of candidate. I had Crusher McGee and our whole slogan was basically the subtext was toughest job in Canada needs the toughest jerk in town. And, yeah. you know, it worked pretty well. So he needs to find something. I mean, that would be more, that would be a more authentic theme. Yeah, right, right. But let me just say this. We just spent 10 minutes completely tearing this guy down, and he should thank us, maybe even sponsor this podcast, because we have successfully lowered the bar so right. much. We have set him up for the reset. Yes. So, Ryan Tyson, if you're listening, and I think you do, we're setting you up for the best summer possible if you guys yes. have a plan. Yes, you're welcome. Mrs. DeSantis you yes. know, needs some help. Hey, Mike, who's your, uh, like, when I look at the rest of the field, I think, well, who else is there? That's the other problem. And you're like, well, there'll be other interesting new names. Who's your, who's the Gina Raimondo? Well, th that's, that's another story. Run, Gina, run. But I like Tim Scott for, I mean, here's the argument for Tim Scott. And this is a high wire act and who knows if he can execute it. But I see an opening. One, he's the only non-grievance conservative there. He's got an evangelical story that's fresher and better than Pence's. He's actually running a little paid Facebook right now in Iowa. Third, he is a great small room guy. Everybody in the Senate loves him. 
Four, he's got 26 million federal, which doesn't make him president, but shows he knows how to handle bundlers and it gives him money to Annie in early. Plus, he'll, he'll have a big super PAC, but they're all overrated, really. So there's a lot. Now, on the other hand, Trump is unlike anybody these guys have ever faced in a primary because he'll do the people are talking thing. You know, Ron DeSantis, I'm hearing things in Florida. People are wondering, the teenage girls, they want to know. I don't know what's going on. And that Tim Scott, where's where's the marriage? Where's the wife? You know, bachelor, you know, I don't know what people think. I'm just telling you what, you know, so there's going to be slime and innuendo. I think it's all a smear, and I think Senator Scott will do fine. But Trump is going to just go for the gutter. Tim Scott, Lindsey Graham. Yeah. That's enough big said. Big friends. Share enough a said. Tub. Big friends. South Carolina. Strange place. People are talking. Heal some strange people. Yeah. That said, on paper... Of those guys, I like him. I think Kemp is interesting. Really knows how to swim in Republican primary circles. Can speak the language, but is a shrewd Paul. Governor of Georgia. And, you know, Youngkin is also new, fresh, suburban. They're loving him in Polk County. And he's got nothing else to do, and he can write a check to Annie Inn. But I don't think he's as strong a contender as Scott or potentially Kemp. You know, I thought Youngkin, and he still may have uh, real possibilities. He made a couple of stumbles going out there and, 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 and razzing Pelosi when her husband got uh, killed in front of a Republican crowd. Uh, he, you know, he was out there campaigning for Carrie Lake. Uh, I mean, uh, and it made me wonder, like, where does he think his lane in this deal is? Where does yeah. he think his identity is? And I don't think he had thought that through. Uh, so, uh, you know, I want, he, you know, he is a, he is, he has a, s- attractive features. Uh, he ran a great race in Virginia, but you know, running for president is hard and strategically challenging. And I don't know if he has the instincts. I don't know if he has the team. You know, Jeff Rowe ran his campaign. He's yeah. over there with DeSantis now in the super PAC, so he doesn't have to talk to the wife or the candidate. Just get the <laughs> exactly. invoices out on time. All these cats have the Schwab's drugstore prop, circa 1939. Schwab's drugstore. Now, here's a. this is from Mike's childhood. This is when Mike was a yeah, kid. Yeah. Right, right. You were behind the counter, remember? Actually, you were just starting out. I was five. It's all a mythology thing about Hollywood, famous drugstore where starlets were discovered. But you're the most beautiful woman or handsome young man in Ottumwa, Iowa. You dominate the town, so you go out to Hollywood. And then you look around, and there are 5,000 other people just like you. Because, you know, they've all got their stuff that works at the Richmond Chamber of Commerce. If they don't think through and have a positioning plan, they're just going to show up and say, wow, I'm not so different and special. And I don't, you know, the Scott people are pretty smart, but I don't know who's figured out the third quarter emerge plan and path. I know that DeSantis hasn't. And Trump is just a lump that has support, but also limitations. So that's why I think these, I call them the third and fourth quarter candidates are the most interesting right now, because there's room for one of them to really take off. Now, if they can execute that, I don't know. But here's the question for all of them, which is you got to have, apart from everything else, and this is a thing, this, talking about Youngkin made me think about it. The Youngkin campaign was what? He figured out how to run for governor in Virginia and avoid Trump. Keep Trump out of the state. Don't talk about Trump. Except, you know, send some subtle messages to the Trump faithful. And then he got handed a big gift by Terry McAuliffe. I'm not taking away anything from the victory. He had a lot of money. Jeff Rose really smart. They ran it. They did it well. But Very well. it wasn't like he didn't have to have a Trump strategy. Everybody who runs in this race has to have a Trump strategy. Yes. What's Glenn Youngkin's Trump strategy? I don't know what any of these people's Trump strategies are. Well, I want to know what Trump's people are talking thing on Youngkin will be. Will it be Youngkin, Chinese name? 
Could be a robot. <laughs> I want to know. People are asking. We got to get them checked. Built in China. My guess is it may have something to do with private equity, his attacks on, on Yunkin. But yeah, it would be jealousy. He actually had a return on investment. Okay, then let's take a break right here, and we'll be right back. All right, I've got a news flash from our sponsor, Indeed, just for you hackeroos. If you're the kind of person that likes to look at the headlines and get right to the story, here it is. They've been busy. They've got a new feature called Indeed Instant Match, where you can instantly receive a list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description. Hiring? You need Indeed. Well, let's dig in. First of all, everybody knows Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. What a time saver. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. I mean, imagine that nightmare. Different sites, you're writing stuff down on Post-its, you're getting lost, the dog eats one. All of a sudden, you're trying to manage the entire webosphere when all you need is one place that can solve your problem, where you can find top talent. Because Indeed has a suite, a full suite, a grand suite, of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Do you hate to wait? Because I know I hate to wait. Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80%, four out of five, of Indeed's employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the very moment they sponsor a job. Look, I don't know about you. I am busy. It's a tight hiring market. You don't want to have a new job as your own HR search person. You want to use modern technology to speed it up and solve the problem. And that's what Instant Match. Indeed has data on this. Candidates you invite to apply through Instant Match are three times, three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search according to their internal data. With Indeed Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed are zeroed into your job description and you can take it from there. Indeed does the hard work for you, sponsor a job, and boom, Instant Match shows you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit what you're looking for. You can start hiring fast, solving your problem fast, and saving your time. In fact, during it only seems like hours I've been talking to you, 16 hires were made on Indeed, according to their internal data worldwide. Pretty amazing. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. With Indeed, you only pay for quality applicants that match your must-have job requirements. Indeed knows what life in small business or even mid-sized business is like. You need it to work. You need it to be cost-efficient, and that's what they're all about. So check them out. Go to Indeed.com hacks to start hiring now. In fact, you can probably get somebody hired before I even stop this voiceover. Just go to Indeed.com hacks, Indeed.com slash hacks terms and conditions do apply cost per application pricing not available for everyone need to hire you need indeed there are two guys who are sort of sort of sussing out completely the 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 sort of anti-trump lane Asa Hutchinson and Christie. Well, and also uh, uh, Sununu, and obviously Larry yeah, but Hogan. Sun, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't really believe. I don't. I'll be surprised if Sununu is in this race. He's a friend of mine, but boy, that New Hampshire poll the other day showing him run third in his home state—that was his one yeah. card trick. Yeah. See you um, later. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I don't see Sununu in this race. Hogan's taken himself out of the race. So the question is, uh, they're two very different guys. I mean, uh, uh, Hutchinson is a courtly uh, Southerner, uh, soft-spoken, uh, but with a like a gold-plated uh, resume on drugs, you know, DEA on uh, border stuff, homeland uh, security, uh, and governor, a very conservative. And then you've got Christie, who obviously uh, comes in with a, a lot of uh, history, but is probably the toughest guy on the block. What do you see in either of those guys? Well, there's a reason Jackie Gleason was never elected president. And when Christie ran he last didn't run. time, We'll, well never know. Nobody yeah. wanted him in. Nobody wanted him in the living room. People forget Christie was going to sweep New Hampshire, New England region. That was the only state they worked on. And, you know, they got absolutely clobbered. He was like fifth. So I think he could be catalytic, but I, I only in Democratic minds does the anti-Trump lane exist in right. the primary. Totally. The lane that exists and somebody can get and very well may get nominated is the beyond Trump lane. The anti-Trump lane is a catalytic thing where you might hurt Trump, great, but you're not going to get any votes in the primary. Hutchinson would argue that he is, that the beyond Trump lane is the lane yes. that he is trying to occupy. Well, he's going to define himself as a as a tribe trader. And by the way, I'm waiting for the press release. Hutchinson, who's a good guy, but Hutchinson raises $1 million. Yeah, you know, right. Good luck anting in with that finance space. I keep waiting for Christy to get up there on stage and say, one of these days, Donald, one of these days, pow, <laughs> right in the kiss, right in the kisser. Just to, <laughs> Norton, Norton. <laughs> just to show that yeah. I'm, uh, that I can, I can hang with you old men. Here's, <laughs> you know, Chris Christie is the only one of those people that I've seen so far who I think could go on a debate stage and like really go toe to toe with Donald Trump. And I think that's not a small thing. I also yes. think that there is no world in a, in a, in, in a Republican party of saying, I agree with Mike. It's got to be beyond Trump because the party is now the MAGA party. The Republican party is dominated by MAGA voters. Whether those people end up being pulled away from Trump or not, they are the, 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 the Trumpified version of the Republican party is dominant. And I think Chris Christie is never going to get into good graces with enough of the Republican. And he was a huge Trump suck up too. No, he was, but he, he killed himself on both sides. He's got to make that work for him. If he runs, he's got to make that work for him and say, listen, I supported a lot of what he did as you know, in office. Uh, and that's why I supported him for re-election. Well, but, you know, people are talking. They're saying Christie wanted a big job from me. And I found out about the drinking. I didn't, you know, people know, people know about him. Can't trust him. Backstabber. Can I just say for the record, though, just to have it on the record, the fact that Chris Christie wrote his book after January 6th and that after writing the book was asked repeatedly, Okay, you criticized Donald Trump for January 6th, but would you support him as the Republican nominee? He would say, yes, I, you know, I would, yeah, I'm not going to abandon Donald Trump. I'm a Republican. I'll be with the Republican nominee. And the other day he announced that he was, that, that was no longer true because of the J6 choir. Now, the J6 choir is genuinely offensive in a million ways. But the yes. idea that the J6 choir was the thing that tipped him it's over the edge. Of, the actual, of the actual insurrection. The actual insurrection didn't, didn't sour him on Donald Trump fully, but the, but the choir did. Yeah, that, that was the breaking point. Hutchinson. Uh, has staked out from a uh, different, I mean, he has refused repeatedly to say that he would support Trump and he did it again. So we'll, well see. I, look, I love the guy and I hate Trump more than I burn with the fire of a thousand sons, but he has no base. He has no money. And no, he's, no, I he's, hear you. I he's, hear you. He's, he's made the tribal line cross. I'd have a better shot. 
Well, let's not go overboard there. Yeah, I no, have... I'm, I've got my New Hampshire campaign. Eliminate the middleman. Stay tuned. It's going to be big. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, man. It's time to play the music, Jeff. It's listener mailbag. If you have a question for the hacks, all you got to do is email it to us at hacksontap at gmail.com. Hacksontap at gmail.com. And if you enclose a crisp dollar bill, our producer Hannah might even put you to the top of the list because. Uh, She's from Chicago. All right. Question number one goes to the one and only John Heilman. Available on streaming and showtime for the circus. Okay. This comes from Chris. The question comes on the heels of conversations about Chris Christie's comments about taking Trump out in the debate stage. Yeah, we were talking about that. Chris would love to hear your favorite stories of the most savage, effective debate takedowns on the debate stage you have witnessed in your careers. John, what's your favorite? I'm just going to do a New Hampshire primary edition to say that it is the case that there was only one bright, shiny moment for Chris Christie in the 2016 campaign, which is when he took down Marco Rubio in the in, in, the, in the New Hampshire debate. One of like if you were looking for bona fides of Chris Christie, that's the as a debater, uh, the ability to take someone out. Now it was Marco Rubio, and he had no chance of being the nominee, so you get some lose some points for that. Also, I will say, not the most effective takeout I've ever seen in a debate, but, but literally my favorite debate moment in history was when David's candidate in 2008 uh, took himself out in the New Hampshire debate by saying to Hillary Clinton, you're likable enough, Hillary. Really, yeah. Maybe one of, one of the great own goals of our time in, in, a, yes. in, a, in a presidential debate. I can now reveal a little known fact that after winning the Iowa caucuses and stunning the world, in the spirit of sportsmanship, we threw that line out to try and make New Hampshire a, a, a more a fairer fight. And we just overshot the runway. I thought David was going to say that he would reveal that after winning the Iowa caucuses that his candidate for a brief moment, never before and never since, that his head swelled to the size of the Hindenburg and that it was, he didn't believe no, it. No, I wasn't. I wouldn't I, say I, no. I, I've I, got a really obscure no, one. No, I, I, was I would not say that. I was that. joking. I was joking. <laughs> I, I have a, a obscure one, which really had an impact, but nobody remembers it. It was in the Iowa caucus in 95 and 94. Steve Forbes had spent a zillion bucks and was surging. I was working for Lamar Alexander, and we were creeping up. But Lamar, who's not normally a stiletto guy, turned to Forbes, and it was the sound bag. And after that, Forbes was in a constant decline. And the line, because Forbes was running on the flat tax, and Iowa agricultural interest, the tax code, you know, farms, deductions, all that. So Lamar said, Steve, that is a terrible idea in the Jerry Brown tradition. (laughs) <laughs> because Brown had run on it before and the place went crazy and uh, it changed everything in Iowa. Hey, Mike, uh, are you responsible for Lamar Alexander's plaid shirt in the end? Is that your fault? He's got a closet full of them. Yeah, no, I'll send you one. The plaid shirt was Lamar's trademark in Tennessee when he walked across straight and he Ooh. was a governor. It was a huge thing there. So we thought, how do we sucker the lazy bastards in the media like Heilman to actually cover his governor years, not just Bush cabinet? So in the announcement, we got out the plaid shirt to get attention. It got attention, but in our cynical world, it got mocked a ton, too. Though Lamar almost made it. Look it up in New Hampshire. It's one of the campaigns I'm proudest of. I think I refer to him as the plaid-clad plastic man for the entire campaign. Well, thank you for that. The best uh, attack line that never broke through, but somebody used in in an appearance, was, Lamar, you're plaid on the issues, which I always worried would get pushed with television, but they never did. I've got a number of examples that would take too much of a setup, but I will say that one of the great debate lines was a takedown with a smile 
which was, uh, and you'll remember this, Murphy, Reagan in 84 when there were questions about his age, and he got the question, and he knew the question was coming because he had messed up the first debate, and he said that I'm not going to make an issue of my opponent's uh, relative youth and inexperience. Uh, And the way he delivered it, even Mondale laughed, and the campaign was over at that moment. So sometimes your debate takedown line doesn't even have to come in the form of a takedown. Right. You're no Jack Kennedy. Again, another vicious Well, that one. was a takedown. Yeah, yeah. No, no, the classic. The one last great one is, is David, is David, you'll remember this one also, Barack Obama 2012, saying to Mitt Romney, uh, the 1980s called they want their foreign policy back when he was talking about Russia as being a big threat, which uh, was great in the moment. Yeah, that turned out not to age well. Yeah, of course, it turns out that Romney was epically right. It was great yes. in the moment and didn't look so good a few years later. Leaf asks during the 2022 midterms, Axelrod, that's me, repeatedly referred to Tim Ryan's Senate campaign in Ohio as the best losing campaign of the election. What is the best losing campaign that you have worked on, Murphy? And you've got many to choose from, so let's hear what you... (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. If you name Bonnie Campbell, then it will be even. Uh, So let's say, boy, so many. I've got to say McCain 2000, from 1% to taking on the world and and, you know, we just ran out of gas. In a fair fight, we could have taken them all away, but dollars. We could never scale to multi-states. Uh, so I'll do the Straight Talk Express and Johnny Johnny McCain. That was a great campaign. I'll, I'll tag it with a funny one from Illinois, uh, your your state, um, my voting residence. Years ago, it was mostly my partner, Cliff Pintek, at the time, but we had a guy who, a very nice guy, who was running for, I think, attorney general. And we were at 2%. He was a corporate tax lawyer. And it was a Republican primary. So we ran the whole thing because he was a tough guy, less attorney, more general in the war on crime because he'd never been in a courtroom. And it caught on, and we only lost the primary by like three points. It was just rocking. Who was that guy? Oh, God, Jeff Land, I think, was his name. Huh. Uh, Anyway, another crazy one, but that's one of these rocket fuel things where, boy, if we'd had another week and another half a million for Chicago TV, we might have we might have made it. And he was a great guy. The thing about that McCain campaign, it's not that often that you lose a campaign and the outcome is your guy doesn't get to be president, but he comes out the other side of the most popular person in American politics. Yeah. And that's like, I mean, for that period, that golden era of McCain, he really won by losing. Well, that campaign. and the tragedy of McCain was that he then had to make a Faustian bargain. Totally. Uh, with uh, some of the more extreme voices in his party. And he wasn't ever ever able to be McCain again yep. in a national campaign. The John McCain you guys ran against in 2008 was a very different John McCain than John McCain of 2000. Obama said to me at the beginning of that campaign that he feared a general election against John McCain more than he did a primary against Hillary Clinton. And I said to him, look, if John McCain had the freedom to be the John McCain he was in 2000, I would be with you on that. But he doesn't have that freedom. And if he's going to be the nominee, he's going to have to make a series of compromises that will uh, take the sheen off of the maverick that he was back in 2000. That's exactly what happened. All right. A Chicago question. So we're going to go to a man I call King Chicago, David Axelrod. This is from Austin, not from the city, from the person. What political takeaways should the Democratic Party have regarding Paul Vallis's pretty strong, in my view, performance in the Chicago mayor's race? What's the lesson? You know, here's the thing about Paul Vallis, uh, and for, to some degree, Brandon Johnson learned, learned this lesson too. The most treacherous thing a politician can face in the modern era is videotape. 
And for Paul Vallis, that was an interview he did 13 years ago or 14 years ago when he was contemplating a run against uh, a deficient Democratic candidate by running on the Republican line for county board president. So he went on some cable access show and said, I'm really more a Republican than a Democrat. I'd run on the, uh, if I run again, I'll run on the Republican ticket. And uh, he also, uh, I think in that same interview, said he was personally anti-abortion. Uh, Those two things were just hammered to death by the Brandon Johnson campaign. And it made, it made Vallis toxic. You know, and he, he had already staked out a position on policing, adding 1,800 police, but he's very close to the Fraternal Order of Police, uh, the most uh, right-wing union in Chicago. And he, uh, that package made him unacceptable to a lot of white voters under 40 in that town who kind of rallied to the progressive candidate, Brandon Johnson. Johnson had his own issue in a town that was re- is really concerned about public safety. He was on uh, the record after George Floyd talking about defunding police, meaning shifting some resources from policing to uh, to mental health and and other and, and other services. He had to walk that back, and he vigorously did walk that back, and ultimately said, "I'm not going to take a penny away uh, from the police." Uh, so, videotape, man. If you ever run for office, think about what you're saying because it will live forever. Hats off to Brandon Johnson. He put together the greatest multi-racial coalition of, uh, uh, you know, that we've seen in Chicago. Uh, that for someone who was not an incumbent mayor, and he did it as a young, uh, a younger progressive who started off with two percent name recognition, and he's now the mayor elect of Chicago. So, as a Chicagoan, uh, I'm rooting hard for him. Uh, I want him to be a success. But Chicago's been through so much shit um, in the last decade, I would say, that if you're someone who loves Chicago, um, as I know you and I both do, I just like, you just want to be better, you know? Like, yeah. I just like never, no no disrespect to Lori Lightfoot. It just never felt like she had like a handle on it. You know, she got elected. And there was never a moment where you thought she's got the situation in hand, you know? She had the good, she had the misfortune of governing during a, uh, Pandemic. Of course, she of did course. very well actually on on the pandemic. But public safety. Yes, well, that's what I'm talking about. She never had a good relationship with the police. This will be a challenge for Johnson. He seems, based on his public statements, to understand that. Uh, so uh, you know, she 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 was dealt a bad hand, but she didn't play it very well at uh, at juncture. Johnny, thank you so much for being with us. Always a ball. X, I will talk to you soon. Absolutely, Heilman. Always good to see you. I can't believe you haven't been here in so long. You got to come back soon. I'm hoping to get another invitation back before uh, the next time Haley's Comet comes through. We will review the tape and decide on that okay. uh, sometime soon. Right. But uh, anyway, really great to see you. Good luck with the circus. Yeah, great to see you too, man. 